The Truth News Network. It's official. The world has gone mad. So buckle up. Oh, and you might want to wear this jacket, because it's going to be a ride. And here to show you the reins is Dan Newman. And the reins, they're everywhere. Wherever you are, you take them with you. The reins of control. We, the people, at least for now, still have control of the United States of America. Now, maybe you're one of those that says, no, we don't, Dan. It's been seized by all those political sycophants up in Washington, D.C. Well, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but guess what? We, the people, still have the power. They're trying to take much of it, if not all of it, from us. There's no question about it. They being, I don't know, whoever is politically connected in D.C. and that just feel like they're the ones endowed by whoever. Golly, I can't even figure out who the big bosses are that determine who controls or who has the power to give control. I guess what you do is you decide for yourself, hey, it's me, it's me. I had a dream last night, and in my dream, I was the one that was in charge, so you've got to respect my dream and just believe that what I'm telling you is the fact that I'm in charge. That sounds ridiculous. Guess what? It is ridiculous, but that's what's playing out right now in your life. And in my life, if you live in the boundaries of the United States of America. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to TNN Live. It is Monday, and we've only got this week left in the month of June. Do we start the dog days of summer, July 1st, or is it August? I can't remember. I know we're getting close to it. I'm from South Louisiana, and in South Louisiana, especially all of Louisiana, but really in South Louisiana, when the dial on the clock and the page on the calendar turns to about June 15th, from that point through Labor Day every year, it is the dog days of summer. It's hot, it's humid, and it's sweltering heat because of the humidity. Well, I've escaped all that. I came to North Louisiana in 1970, Finished my high school at Bird High School in Shreveport my senior year. Only went there one year. Went to Louisiana Tech and I met the dream of my life there, Mary Ann. We got married. We lived in the town that Louisiana Tech University is in for about six years. And then we moved on. We ended up in northwest Louisiana, where she's from. Now, in northwest Louisiana, it gets hot. It gets very, very humid, which brings on the sweltering feelings that you get. You know, we go to places like Hawaii and even Cabo San Lucas down on the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula of California. We go there to get away, get on the beach, where it's still hot (laughs) and it's still humid. But you're looking at a beach, you're looking and listening to waves, and it just seems so quiet and peaceful, with the exception of those waves rolling in off of, I guess, the Sea of Cortez in Cabo or in Hawaii, the Pacific, in South Louisiana, the Gulf of Mexico. But I am right now, I am looking towards the west coast of Africa. And my view, the window I'm looking through, is in a window on the beach 
in South Carolina, St. Simon's Island. We're broadcasting live this week from South Carolina. It's not South Carolina. If I've already messed up, it's Georgia. I'm so sorry. St. Simon's Island is in Georgia. But we're here for our annual Newman family, extended family get-together. And we've been here over the weekend having a great time. But I could not wait to get together with you guys this morning. Yep, lots of stuff happening over the weekend. A lot of new things have popped up that are very, very important. And many of these new things are answers to the questions that you and I have had about a lot of the stuff that's been going on. And before now, it was unexplained. But as of now, it all begins to make sense. Hmm, what are we talking about? Well, we're going to dig into all of it. I've got some very critical things you're going to hear from some testimony from Congress. All that and a lot more as we get started on Monday morning, last week in June. Let's call next week the beginning of the dog days of summer. How about that? Hey, hey, hey. I made a list, ruled down from A to Z. All the ways I thought that you could best use me. Told all my strengths and my ability. I formed a plan. It seemed to make good sense. I laid it out for you so sure you'd be convinced. I made my case, presented my defense. But then I read the letter that you sent me. It said that. Strike a man. 
Curtis Chapman. Whatever, you're my God. It's a great place to live, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just sitting here looking out across the uh, the beach at the Atlantic Ocean, listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it just brought to my mind something. One of our faithful listeners, a really close friend of mine, we went to college together. His nickname was Smoke because he threw about a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, and he was quite a pitcher and also a college quarterback, ended up leaving Louisiana Tech and took a football scholarship over here in North Carolina. Smoke, his name is Carl. Carl lives in North Carolina now. He listens to this show every day while he's on the golf course. I mean, that's what athletes do when they retire. They go play golf. Well, Carl wears the earbuds and listens. Smoke, I'm going to St. Simon's Island's wonderful golf course, Sea Island Plantation, to play golf down here. And we're not that far from you. Come on down and let's do it together. (laughs) That would be a lot of fun. Anyway, we've got a busy week. We are not going to miss a minute with you. Listen to something that just became a little clear overnight. You remember when the Justice Department discovered from journalists, by the way, journalists told them about it, a storage locker that contained evidence against ex-Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort? What happened? Search happened immediately. But when IRS agents found a similar storage area that contained real evidence in the Hunter Biden criminal tax probe, They were denied the right to even search despite meeting the probable cause standard under the law. Then Biden's lawyers were tipped off. That's according to new congressional testimony. It's funny how all this stuff just slips out. Every few days, something new comes out. And by the way, we're just getting started with the new coming out stuff. You don't want to miss a minute of this show today. But we'll go on about the um, conundrums the political thuggery. You remember when federal prosecutors figured out there was evidence of crimes at Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago? They immediately launched an unprecedented and a full-scale raid on the former president. But when agents wanted to go to and execute a search warrant at Joe Biden's Delaware home because they had probable cause to believe there was evidence of Hunter's tax crimes, They were turned down for a warrant to raid the guest house. Why'd they want to raid the guest house? That happens to be where the first son, Hunter, was living. And when FBI agents thought that former Trump advisor Michael Flynn, who's been on this show a couple of times, had committed no crime at all in the Russia collusion case, they nonetheless conducted an interview with him in what one supervisor concluded smacked of an effort to get him to lie and get a federal lying charge against him. But when IRS and FBI agents wanted to interview witnesses in the Biden case, they were told that most of those witnesses were off limits, including people like the Biden grandchildren, who agents believe may have unwittingly been entangled in a tax scheme. Why? Because remember, we now have bank records that show millions of dollars from China and Romania and Ukraine and Russia 
were wire transferred into some of those grandkids' bank accounts. But we can't go investigate those things. A federal prosecutor said, it'll get us into hot water if we interview the president's grandchildren. (laughs) IRS supervisory criminal investigative agent Gary Shapley said that in front of Congress in blockbuster testimony that was released last week that further an unmistakable portrait being painted by congressional investigators of a whole-of-government effort to preserve Joe Biden's viability as a presidential candidate while they're attempting at the same time to destroy Trump's re-election effort. Hmm. The pattern and evidence about the behavior of federal bodies ranging from Agencies like the IRS, the FBI, and other spy agencies to the Justice Department. U.S. attorneys, their offices, and national archives. It's not enough to even convince one unabashed Joe Biden supporter. There has been a scheme to administer unequal justice. There is no such thing, folks. Justice lives in a vacuum just as does truth. There is no such thing as unequal justice. There's either justice or there's none. I don't agree that this is necessarily Republican versus Democrats. A lot of FBI agents are Republicans. This is a separate system of justice for Donald Trump and anybody who defends him or who was close to him and everybody else, Republican and Democrats alike. That's attorney Alan Dershowitz. You've heard him a lot here on this show. He's a famed Harvard law professor emeritus. He voted for Biden, but he also represented Trump during one of Trump's two impeachment trials. Dershowitz wrote a whole book about the disparate system for Trump world called Get Trump. But it was completed before bombshell evidence began emerging that showed a few things that made people question, like uh, the FBI long-held evidence from a confidential source that Joe was involved in a possible bribery scheme that was allegedly captured on 17 tape-recorded conversations, telephone conversations. More about that telephone later in the show. Also... Biden's son, Hunter, was engaged in a $2.2 million tax evasion and avoidance scheme that IRS agents were thwarted from fully investigating. And the infamous Hunter Biden laptop had been validated by the FBI back in 2019, a full year before it was falsely portrayed as Russian disinformation by 51, at least 51 intelligence pros, Joe Biden in the news media in a blitz that misled voters ahead of the 2020 election. All of this stuff. Dershowitz said the plea deal that Hunter reached last week on two misdemeanor charges related to tax evasion isn't the biggest reason for concern. Here's what Allen said where he may have gotten not only a sweetheart deal, but an incredibly unjust deal, is for the government's failure to investigate and perhaps prosecute the laptop, Burisma, and those 17 tapes. 
The latter two in that list refer to the Burisma Holdings Limited in Ukraine, in which Hunter had a questionable business dealing, and those audio tapes that a foreign national who allegedly bribed then-Vice President Biden and son Hunter has in connection to this alleged bribe. 17 telephone conversations that this oligarch from Ukraine, and he's the real deal, had with Hunter Biden and even then-Vice President Joe Biden. Representative Lance Gooden, who's from Texas, a Republican, a House Judiciary Committee member, he said the FBI is just the tip of the spear of a judicial and intelligence system that has been corrupted by political bias. He said there were investigations open that should never have been open. There were Americans being spied on. Officials of a political campaign for president were being spied on just based on political preferences of those in charge. And we cannot have a system where political bias gets in the way of what the head of the FBI or what the leaders of the FBI are directing or deciding. And that's exactly what's going on. That sentiment, I share it, do you? Well, it's shared by some of the federal agents even who investigated both Biden and Trump dating to 2016. The investigators are now saying this is a false investigation. This ain't the way it's supposed to happen in the U.S., and it's never happened this way before. Investigators assigned to this investigation were obstructed from seeing all the available evidence sharply testified in the transcript released on Thursday last week that showed a mountain of political interference in their investigation of the Bidens. Sharply also said the FBI had testimony and even text showing Joe Biden was likely involved in meeting with Hunter Biden's Chinese partners as the family was pressing energy officials from the communist country to pay them millions but were kept from probing the 46th president's potential culpability. This is real stuff. This is third world stuff. This is banana republic, North Korea, Russia, Ukraine stuff. Based on guidance that was provided by the prosecutors, those guidances were coming recurringly. To not look into anything related to Biden, Joe or Hunter, there's no way of knowing if evidence of other criminal activity existed concerning Hunter or the president. This is Shapley talking. He and a second IRS agent who have been granted whistleblower status by the House Ways and Means Committee, they said their team had compelling evidence that Hunter failed to pay taxes all the way back to some of the original monies taken from the Ukrainian energy firm Burisma. But they were twice turned down by political appointees of who? President Joe Biden. To bring charges on those offenses and then just inexplicably, the statute of limitations was allowed to expire. 
What does that mean? That's the deadline. You have to file charges against an alleged crime before you can't file charges anymore. And they can't file charges anymore on those specific things because they drug it out, the investigations which never happened, and that statute of limitations is gone now. It was a conscious decision by DOJ to let that run, Shapley said of the statute. They could have had them extend 14 and 15, but they said no. Letting a statute of limitations expired in an active criminal investigation is not normal. Shapley, by the way, was a supervisor of the IRS team that investigated Hunter Biden. Now, we do know it came out, I guess, last Thursday or Friday. I forget which day, but Hunter, we were wondering about what was the IRS investigating him for and what did he allegedly do wrong? He forgot to he forgot to report 17 million dollars worth of money that came his and his business partner's way from a Chinese company. 17 million. Oh by the way, of that, more than 8 million was income tied directly to and for Hunter. And that meant that Hunter had a little tax bill with the IRS, a little over $2 million that he didn't pay. And, of course, the IRS didn't know about it because he didn't file tax returns. Now, think about that. This is all stuff that happened four or five years ago, six years ago. If you did something like that, if you failed to report business income of $17 million that got you after you took your money out of the business in the form of income and it got you seven, eight million million of income and you were supposed to pay over $2 million to the government in taxes and not only did you not pay those taxes, you didn't file tax returns, where would you be today? You certainly wouldn't be sitting at the house having a little toddy in the morning, glad that you don't even have to worry about stuff like that. No, no. You would be behind bars, as would I. We haven't even talked about Hunter's violation of federal law when he lied on his application to get approval to buy a gun. So the other agents, whistleblower agent's lawyer, a guy named Dean Zerby. He wrote a letter last week to Congress that revealed his client had, quote, stated to me that he has never seen this FBI Form 1023. He does not recall ever hearing about this information being turned over in any meetings with the prosecution team in Delaware. That agent believes this information could have been relevant to the Hunter Biden probe because it related to a claim of $5 million being paid to the subject, which is Hunter, which directly ties the email correspondence reviewed between subject and a business partner. Statute of limitations expiring, evidence not being brought forth, witnesses and searches declared off limits, agents being warned of political consequences for just doing their normal investigative jobs, all unusual in a single case. 
This came from those two whistleblower agents in testimony to Congress last week. But those things weren't the only horrible, unexplainable behavior seen by law enforcement since Donald Trump came on the scene. Records and testimony of people now are just piling up that prove that. Former special counsel John Durham, he made clear earlier this month the FBI and the DOJ opened and sustained for two and a half years an investigation into alleged Trump-Russia collusion without a single shred of evidence. Nothing. There was no evidence whatsoever that justified it. And the FBI, FBI director at the time, James Comey, and his minions, they lied on multiple applications for warrants from the FISA court saying they had specific evidence that justified giving them the authority to spy on the Trump campaign. The agents that were forced to work that case, they also talked about and blew the whistle on what they believe was improper conduct conduct by DOJ and the FBI. Guy named Agent William Barnett told the DOJ back in 2020, three years ago, that he did not see any evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, but that senior executives as high as then-Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, they kept pressing investigators to charge on, according to a summary of the interview, obtained by Just the News. Barnett said he and other agents found the investigation into collusion so unbelievable and untruthful that it could be made into a game, which they referred to as collusion clue. Can you believe this stuff is actually now showing up and it had been happening for all these years? In the collusion clue hypothetical game, investigators were able to choose any character conducting any activity in any location and pair that character with another one and interpret it as evidence of collusion. (laughs) It's real. That's how crazy people in the intelligence industry felt like it was. Former Assistant FBI Director William Priestap He recounted in his notes his heartburn when the FBI and the DOJ, they decided to interview Michael Flynn. He was then National Security Advisor to Trump with no basis of evidence of a crime and after career agents had concluded that Flynn part of the the probe should be even closed. Priestap's notes fretted the Bureau, was playing games with the Flynn probe, And he whined about whether the goal was to get the truth or simply to get Flynn to lie so they could prosecute him and get him fired. All these efforts to sway the public and at the same time sway the investigative machinery away from Biden and toward Trump involved the entire intelligence community as well. This story just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Listen to this. An intelligent assessment in the summer of 2020, all the way back to the summer of 2020, it suggested evidence about Joe and Hunter's wrongdoings in Ukraine 
was Russian disinformation, causing a part of the Hunter Biden probe to stop months before the election, thwarting a probe by Republican Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley. It was all coordinated between Joe Biden, his campaign, the Department of Justice, and the FBI. There's no other explanation whatsoever. And they're not even trying to prove that this is untrue. They all have dirt on their faces and the Department of Justice, if there's any justice left in it, they've got to do something about this. This false narrative of Russian disinformation, it persisted, it expanded in October of 2020. What was going on then, October of 2020? Oh, we had an election for president a month later. And you remember those 51 intelligence officials, including people like former CIA directors John Brennan and Mike Morrell. They all signed a letter without giving any evidence that declared that laptop that emerged in public October of 2020 was nothing but Russian disinformation. Remember that date, October of 2020, is when they wrote the letter. The letter was used by Joe and the media and big tech to censor stories about the Bidens right before the election. And Joe gets elected. Oh, by the way, October 2020, I told you to remember that date. They had that laptop in 2019. October 20. They had it a year. They had it a year before this October 2020 thing, and the FBI had investigated it, Department of Justice had investigated, and they knew it was real. It was Hunter's, and there was no Russian disinformation. So what's going on here? Morrell would later admit to Congress he didn't have any evidence of Russian disinformation. And he simply put that letter by those 51 signatories, he put it together to help Joe win the election by giving a talking point. They needed, they being whoever is in collusion with Joe Biden, they needed something to blunt Trump's arguments at that last presidential debate. Johnson, who led a 2020 Senate investigation into the Bidens. And by the way, this is Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin. Our Steve Baker, who will be with us tomorrow, he's been working closely with Senator Johnson's staff on a bunch of this stuff. Johnson said the all-of-government effort that's now been exposed was backed by the legacy news media. You knew it had to come full circle and clearly tried to protect Biden and go after Trump. Here's what the senator said. Now, unfortunately, in our multi-tiered system of justice, this is how justice is carried out in this country, which is why so very few Americans now have faith in federal law enforcement. I mean, you're seeing the polls. It's sad. I mean, it would be nice if we had complete confidence in the spirit of federal agencies and federal law enforcement, but they've given us no reason to have confidence in them. And this, my friends, this story you just heard, it's definitely not the end of this. And we're not living in the end of all of this insanity. 
We are just getting started. And I know of the tens of thousands of you that are listening in this morning, you're sitting there listening to this and you're shaking your head and you're asking, is this the United States of America? Is this happening in the greatest country in world history? The most just justice from coast to coast nation that has ever existed? Is this happening to us? Are we the people getting used and abused this way by our own government? Are we the people allowing it to continue? I don't have all the answers. I don't understand why we, the people, have let this government get away with all this stuff. But we have. And the gluttony and the total disdain from the left for you and I, the people, it's gotten to epic proportions. Making the convoluted rhetoric of politics understandable, digestible, actionable. TNN, the Truth News Network. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee fi fo foam. I smell the. I, I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. In a world where truth is in short supply, you have an abundance of it right here. TNN, the Truth News Network. I know, I know. It gets overwhelming at times, doesn't it? Look. This isn't a call out of desperation. This isn't a oh me, oh my. It's not any of that. This is simply, we need to give you the facts. We need every American to have all the facts. Because what you heard there, that was 35 minutes long, that segment. And we just barely were able during that 35 minutes to uncover I'm going to say 75% of the corruption that's out there, that we know is out there, and verification is still underway. It's hard to believe. In fact, I, I, I can't accept it. I refuse to accept it. Not that it is there, because it definitely is there, but that some people, millions of people think it's like, oh, okay, no big deal. It is a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. 
And we can't just sit by idly and do nothing. So all I can do here is make sure you've got the facts and then trust you to take those facts, digest them, do with them what you want to. As I told you in the first half hour, we're going to go to Congress. We're going to do that before the end of this first hour. But a couple of things I wanted to tell you about that came out over the weekend. This drag queen trans stuff, it's racing toward unbelievable endings for our children. And it seems like nothing's going to stop it. A drag marchers, New York City drag marchers chant over the weekend occurred. It happened at a Pride event. LGBT activists at the annual drag march in New York City shouted a troubling message about our children, my children, my grandchildren, and yours too. As Pride Month is coming to a close this week, the participants in that group marched through Tompkins Square Park in the East Village in New York City while chanting. Video footage shows the flamboyantly dressed crowd moving through the area, and a woman among the group appeared to be topless. And we don't know if it was a biological woman or somebody that had had a boob job, some dude. But here's what some in the crowd were screaming, quote, we're here, we're queer, we're coming for your children. Another video shows marchers with a banner that reads, drag march, as the crowd filled the streets, chanting at the top of their lungs. The march came to an end at the Stonewall Inn located in Greenwich Village, whose website says it's where pride begins. Pride begins is what it said. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, social media users responded to the video, one person writing, and they say, we're not coming for the children. In July of 2021, it was reported the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus unpublished a music video where singers promised to convert children to their LGBT ideology once the clip went viral online. Listen to the lyrics. These are some of the lyrics from the song. You think we're sinful? You fight against our rights? You say we all lead lives you can't respect? But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids? Our agenda goes unchecked. It's funny. Just this once, you're correct. And it continued. These are actual lyrics from that big hit. Quote, we'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit. Quietly and subtly. And you will barely notice it. You can keep him from disco. Warn about San Francisco. Make him wear pleated pants. We don't care. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. Meanwhile, RuPaul's Drag Race champion, Jinx Monsoon, recently accused conservatives of using kids as political shields as debate rages over child grooming. Child grooming, you know what that is. Grooming, getting your kids ready 
to be something that they are not biologically, and they groom them, condition them, filling their brains that are just basically mush right now, but developing, filling their brains with all kinds of ideas that aren't even close to being truthful. This guy claimed they're using children as a shield like they've done many, many times before. That has always been their tactic. What the Republican Party is doing is objectively evil. That, my friends, is going on. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Well, do I want to circle back to more of the Biden stuff going on? Not right now. I don't think I'm going to do that right now. I think I want to take you to Congress. I want to take you to Congress. One of the people in Congress, in the Senate, that I respect the most, I guess my number one guy in Congress is one of our two U.S. senators from Louisiana. That would be Senator John Kennedy. He's like our modern-day Mark Twain when he gives his speeches. And the media, the conservative media, love to have him on TV or radio because he's always got these neat little quips that he makes. But he's very substantive. The other guy I really like is from Missouri, Senator Josh Hawley. Last week, Merrick Garland was in testimony before a subcommittee. Josh Hawley, he just waded in to the Attorney General. And I want I want you to I wanted you to hear. Listen to that back and forth, where Josh Hawley is just blown away by allegations made by the Attorney General. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, <clears throat> Attorney General Garland, you said in our last exchange that it's your practice to defer to FBI agents in the field when it comes to investigations, apprehensions of subjects. Um, I was interested, given your answer, to read in this morning's Washington Post that the FBI is saying that you overruled them when it came to raiding ex-President Trump's personal residence. Washington Post reports this morning showdown before the raid <clears throat> that senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted doing so as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to search his property. These field agents wanted to shutter the criminal investigation altogether in early June, the Post reports, but they were overruled by Maine DOJ. So I guess in light of your earlier testimony just this morning, my question is, how often do you overrule FBI field agents for political purposes? I've skimmed that article. It is not, that's not an accurate reflection of what the article says, and I'm not able to comment on the investigation. Um, my comment earlier was about tactics uh, on the ground in particular wait, cases. Wait, 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 wait. You said it's not an, I'm, I'm reading to you from the article, quote, Senior FBI officials who would be in charge of leading the search resisted the plan as too combative and proposed instead to seek Trump's permission to seek his property, according to four people who spoke on condition of anonymity to describe a sensitive investigation, end quote. Again, I have to say I'm not able to uh, uh, describe the investigation. I will say as a general matter and at a high level of, uh, of generality that in my experience, long experience as a prosecutor, there is often a robust discussion and in the end, and it's encouraged among investigators and prosecutors. Attorney General, and my time is very, made. My, yes, and you made the decision. I did, 
That's right. Not, you said you did. No, I'm sorry. What I said was I approved the decision. So you didn't make the decision I to rape? I approved the decision to seek a search warrant after probable cause was Overruling filed. the FBI agents who did not want to do so. Did you talk about this with the, the White House The beforehand? memorandum does not, that, that um, uh, Washington Post article does not say what you're saying. I'm sorry. And I'm not able to describe this uh, in any further well, detail. Well, I, th I think given that, Mr. Chairman, I'll just ask that this entire article be entered into the record. Without objection. And we can read for ourselves. I invite people to go and look. It says exactly that FBI field agents did not want to conduct the raid and they were overruled by DOJ. So it doesn't seem to me, Attorney General, that the FBI has a lot of confidence in you because what they're doing clearly is trying to distance themselves from your decisions. They're out there leaking left, right, and center and saying it wasn't us. We didn't want to do it. He made us do it. What's that say about their confidence in your leadership? No, the previous senator said that they're leaking all in favor of the left. Now you're saying they're leaking all in favor of I'm the asking right. you I my don't... question. Answer my question based on this evidence. Don't dissemble, Attorney Time General. Time has expired. Answer my question. Time has expired. Senator Cotton? Time has expired. Time has expired. That's the go-to thing. They get away with it. Well, you didn't hear the Attorney General finish the answer that... Uh, Senator Josh Hawley had asked. But I want to point out, before we're going to hear Senator Tom Cotton, who questioned Mayor Garland right after Hawley in just a second. But I want to point out something. I'm getting sick and tired, as I know millions of Americans are, when we have these committee hearings in which witnesses come forward, these high, very powerful people from the Department of Justice, like the Attorney General himself, Merrick Garland, who's here today, and also... FBI Director Christopher, Christopher Ray. We hear them all the time when they're testifying and ask questions. Oh, we can't talk. It's impossible. We can't talk about ongoing investigations. Let me point something out. There is no legislation. There is no congressionally passed rule or law that says anybody testifying before Congress can't talk about ongoing investigations. Now, I can understand the reason for not wanting to get into the actual details of some of the stuff, but to pull it back up to the 10,000-foot level and in any investigation, to talk about the purposes and the reasons for actually conducting these investigations, there's only one reason why they don't want to talk about it, why Merrick Garland didn't want to answer Josh Hawley's questions. It's because they've been caught in telling lies and they don't want to get into the details that will expose them as liars. So in the same committee hearing, right after the segment you just heard with Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton picked up his questions for the Attorney General from a different perspective. Mr. Attorney General, I want to return to the illegal protest outside of Supreme Court justices' homes last summer. Um, it, it's plainly unlawful to protest outside of a judge's home to influence the outcome of a pending case. You testified earlier that as far as you know, no charges have been brought against those protesters, but you never really explained why. Why have no charges been brought against those protesters? The decision about make, uh, making arrests is left to the marshals on scene. Their principal... Marshals are, marshals are 
law enforcement officials. They're not prosecutors. I did not say arrests. I said charges. There can't These be. people were not criminal masterminds. There has they to be. posted videos of themselves on their social media accounts. They advertised the protest in advance. It is possible to arrest someone for an offense after the offense has occurred, has it not? It is. And we're Why did you not send anyone to arrest those protesters in the days after the protests? We're allocating our resources towards protecting the lives of the justices and their, um, um, and, and their families. Uh, decisions have to be made on the ground as to what is the best way to protect those lives. Mr. Attorney General, do you, do you not think that it would perhaps provide a deterrent effect if you arrested some of these criminal protesters and charged them and threw them in federal prison? We are trying to protect the lives of the justices. That is our principal priority. Yeah, I'm not, I'm and I'm leaving it to the marshal service to make determinations on the ground. They have to make determinations about what they see on the ground. Look, consider the efforts your department has put into tracking down everyone who is even on the Capitol grounds on January 6, 2021. You've dedicated million of man hours to study videotape, to do forensic analysis of computers and devices to go knock and conduct interviews. You, you can't allocate just a few agents to look at people's social media account to say they were president outside of a justice home. We're gonna go arrest them and charge them. Our, it's a black letter violation of the law. Our priority is violence and threats of violence and protection of the lives of the justices. And that is what we're doing. Again, these are not criminal masterminds. They posted pictures and videos of themselves protesting. You could probably go arrest one today from a cold start. Why can't you do that? I'm saying again, our purpose is to protect the lives and safety of the justices. That's how we're allocating resources. You sent the FBI, as several senators pointed out, to do an early morning raid on Mark Houck's home in front of his children for the grave crime of singing hymns and saying prayers outside of an abortion clinic, charges of which he was acquitted by a jury of his peers within an hour. You can't send the FBI to track down anybody who is protesting outside the home of a Supreme Court justice. And I want to be clear, our purpose here is to protect the lives and safety of the justices. I, I think That's the why we're is, doing that. The answer is that you are sympathetic to the protesters, that you didn't like the decision the justices were about to issue. I think we all know what we, you would do if a bunch of conservative protesters were outside the home of a Democratic appointed justice to the Supreme Court. No you're one has ever been arrested under that it's statute a simple black under those letter circumstances. Legal violation. You will not send a single agent to conduct a single arrest and charge them on something that they have zero defense for. It's because you're sympathetic to left-wing protesters. What we are seeing happen, in my opinion, is we are seeing the gap between conservative and, I don't know, even what you we should call the people on the far left. Let's just call them, if they're Democrats, I said something about this last week, and I got a couple of nasty emails, but I'm going to see it. I can't think of another way to describe it. The Democrat Party fascists, they are dead set on getting unilateral power and authority over every person in the nation that they, the Democrat fascist party, own themselves. I don't know where they get authority to even want that, but not only do they want that, they're demanding it. And if you dare enter into a conversation, not do something, but just talk about doing something about that, seizing some of that power that they've already gotten control over themselves, they'll go crazy on you. And that's what they did and why they did it and still continue to do it 
against Donald Trump. You take all of this stuff that we've talked about and all the stuff we saw last week and talked about it last week, you pile it all in a big pile out in your backyard. And what do you have? You have a two-tiered justice system. It's actually one tier of it is not even affiliated or part of the justice system at all. It's 100% politicization for one purpose and one person purpose only, and that's to seize power over every American. Somebody you haven't heard a lot from in Congress that's normally very vocal about such issues is Texas U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. So he came out over the weekend and he started crying for House members to impeach President Joe Biden. Now, he's not the first, he's not the only one, but I haven't heard of another senator that has come out and done so. Several in the House of Representatives have actually offered and put up articles of impeachment against Joe Biden, but not from the U.S. Senate. By the way, impeachment of any president must start in the House of Representatives with proposed articles of impeachment that the House will consider, and if they decide that they want to pass those articles through, if they're uh, amended in any way, but they come up with a final version, then those articles go across to the Senate, and if the Senate thinks there's enough there there, then they'll have a trial. Senator Ted Cruz, you don't normally hear a U.S. Senator do this, but Cruz has come out, and he's saying, let's get her done. This comes as a recent poll found four in 10 likely voters, they believe Congress should impeach President Biden right now. Meanwhile, on Saturday, Cruz's impeachment push came after that IRS whistleblower in the Hunter Biden probe told Congress that the president's son invoked his daddy to pressure a Chinese business partner through a WhatsApp conversation and claimed the elder Biden was in the room while he was making deals. It's kind of like Cruz said, enough's enough. We got we to gotta get rid of this stuff and get rid of these people. In response to a question about when the issue surrounding the younger Biden became a problem for his dad that could result in impeachment, Senator Cruz noted, the time is right now. Here's what Cruz said. Look, this WhatsApp is direct evidence of Joe Biden abusing his government power to enrich his son and assuming 10% for the big guy to enrich himself. And Joe Biden's been identified by numerous people and even actual transcripts of conversations that Joe Biden, in all things dealing with Hunter Biden, is called the big guy. This is not just me, Cruz said, Hunter, just mooching off my dad. Of course, the House needs to investigate it, but the stunning thing is what the IRS whistleblower says is Merrick Garland prevented an investigation into this message. In other words, when Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, gets into it, and is showing by what he's doing and not allowing to be done, it's time to take legislative action. 
Meanwhile, Donald Trump thinks the Biden family corruption is 100 times bigger than Watergate. And I tend to agree with the former president. He, uh, he spoke over the weekend, and among things he said, he said this. Just two days ago, an IRS whistleblower revealed that Crooked Joe sat in a room while his son Hunter messaged a Chinese Communist Party official and said, quote, I am sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. I mean, that's that Hunter's kind of, it's like we're pissed off about it, and we want you to do something and not next week, but do it tonight. And he continued. Hunter did. And if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows, you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Now, by the way, as an aside to this conversation, it was verified at the day and the moment of this call, Hunter was in Delaware at the Delaware residence and that Joe Biden was there at the same time of this. So it is actually provable. Well, almost within 100%, maybe 90%, 99% provable that Joe Biden was in the room with Hunter when this call occurred. Trump also noted that days later, the Biden family got over $5 million from China for no apparent reason. Of course, they told us it was for a business deal, but they have no businesses that they can point to. And of course, the money didn't go to any business. It was meted out to a bunch of different Biden family syndicate members, including Biden's grandchildren. Joe Biden is a totally compromised president because they're bribing him, Trump said. They know all the money they've given, and it's far greater than anyone has been able to understand. As good a job as Jim Jordan and James Comer have done, and it's not only China, it's many countries, including Ukraine. These countries know every penny the Biden crime uh, crime family syndicate has taken in, so he can't ever go against them or they'll... They'll reveal the corruption is 100 times bigger than Watergate. And this thing just gets wider and wider and deeper and deeper. Representative Andy Ogles, who's a Republican of Tennessee, introduced articles of impeachment recently against President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris while accusing them of poor leadership. Now, this is the first time I've heard anybody talk about impeaching Kamala Harris. And I don't even know who Representative Andy Ogles is. He's from Tennessee, I know, and he's a Republican. I've seen his picture, but I've never heard him speak or introduce anything legislatively, so he's kind of been just one of the 435 members of the House. But maybe Representative Ogles is latched a hold of something that should be done. What's the big deal, Dan? Well, he included both the president 
and the vice president in those proposed articles of impeachment. Now, why would he do that? Think about this. A lot of Republicans say, we, we, there's no reason to impeach Joe Biden because if we did and he was tried in the Senate, removed from office, Kamala Harris would be the vice president and then the president after Joe was removed from office. So we would just be getting out of the frying pan and falling in the fire. But what if we impeached them both and both were removed in trials by the Senate? Who would then be president? That's a great question. With a simple answer. Would be the House Speaker, Republican from California, Kevin McCarthy. Now, you may have differences with the House Speaker on some of the stuff he's done, some of the things he did when he was just a member of the House. And I got to be honest with you, several things that he was involved in, I just, it just kind of made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But if you put in context, if we had to have a president to replace Joe Biden and we could just skip over Kamala Harris and get to a, a Republican who's a real conservative, a real conservative, we could kind of lay our few things aside, some differences that we may have with Kevin McCarthy because I would think without question having a McCarthy in the White House compared to having a Harris in the White House, oh my God, what a great Christmas present. You probably agree with me too. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60. Take on life in style. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> well, 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 we are beginning a new week together again. Thank you so much for joining us every day here at TNN Live. And I, I know everybody can't be here 
every day. I get that. And because of that, when you're here, I want you to know how much you're appreciated. We are on the road this week. We are actually in Georgia, St. Simon's Island. Newman family vacation. We have the Newmans. Uh, we have, uh, trying to think of all our family names, last names that are here. You, you probably don't know them, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, I'm looking across the beach at the Atlantic Ocean. It's calm today. It's very comfortable here. I thought it was supposed to be really hot at the end of June everywhere in the U.S., but I guess these uh, nice breezes coming off the Atlantic Ocean have made things uh, much more tolerable <laughs> as we're here this week. For those of you that haven't yet got your family vacation going, I know you're looking forward to it, and I say take the time. Get away from the stuff in your life. Take your family members and go somewhere memorable. Let me just say this. Our kids are grown, are married. We have grandkids, two grandsons that have already graduated from high school and are in college or working. And we have three more grandchildren that are going to be seniors in high school. These are the people in which you create memories that are lifelong. Let me give you an example. Our girls, our two daughters have several cousins, and they all grew up living within blocks of each other. And when I say grew up, I mean those formidable years, you know, like through second, third grade on up through high school. They grew up together, and they're best friends. And when we get together, we we got here, we got to Georgia on, uh, was it Friday or Saturday? It was early Saturday we got here. And we have sat around tables around the the big meeting room or room here and the condo in which we're staying and listen to the stories that these kids relate about growing up in our extended family. It's incredible the impact that circumstances that moms and dad create for their families, for their immediate families and their extended families. It's an incredible opportunity for all of you to do. If you have those opportunities, make sure you do because you're creating lifelong memories. And for those that are out there and maybe you're part of directly impacted by a broken family, a family that's split up or whatever, I come from that. And I want to tell you, even with that, you can start over a fresh start and you can create new memories in your family that will not only change your kids, but will change you. And you can always start and start doing that right now. Think about that. Take every opportunity to get together. I mean, I'm upstairs in a condo, (laughs) and they're downstairs. I'm looking out over the, the back patio of the condo right to the beach right behind the swimming pool at the patio. And they're down there, and they're just laughing their butts off as kids do. And my wife um, and our daughters, both of our daughters, have their family members here. Cousins are here. It's just a great time. Take advantage of family every time you can. How about that? Hey, listen, before we get back to um, all the government crap that we're all having to deal with, thanks 
to this administration and all of the sycophants that are working in this administration. Something we need to keep our eyes on that's really not good for the United States is happening all along our southern border. Over the weekend, some really nasty news comes out about what the Biden Department of Homeland Security has initiated very quietly, and nobody's been talking about it. Biden's DHS is now rerouting illegal immigration through ports of entry at the U.S.-Mexico border. You know why they're doing it? To give the appearance that the inflow of these illegals has dropped under Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and President Joe Biden. So after Biden's rescinding of the public health authority known as Title 42, remember, that helped to return millions of illegal aliens to Mexico since 2020. The legacy or establishment media or the far left, however you want to describe them, and the White House have touted a drop in border apprehensions. But it's not true. It's not factual. Under a series of catch-and-release-style programs, DHS is funneling tens of thousands of border crossers and all are really illegal aliens through ports of entry. Republicans on the House Homeland Security Committee detailed in a report issued this month, listen to this. While the Biden administration is celebrating a reported 25% decrease in encounters between ports of entry, while that's going on, 35,317 aliens were encountered at ports of entry, 17% of the total encounters in the month of May, 35,000 of them. According to the Office of Field Operations, this is a 20% increase from April and a staggering 34 increase from January when Border Patrol CBP-1 app, you've heard about it. That's the app you could create if use if, uh, if you were an illegal and you wanted to set an appointment for you to appear at the southern border. In particular, Biden, we are told, has deployed the CBP-1 app foreign nationals in Mexico are using to schedule their appointments at the border for direct release into American communities. How does that work? Yeah, you got the app, you set up an appointment, you get across the border at the port of entry, you check in, and you're legal, right? No, that's not right. Since its implementation in January, more than 100,000 foreign nationals have entered the U.S. interior through this migrant mobile app. That's a population equivalent to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and New Bedford, Massachusetts. Annually, close to half a million foreigners will be able to schedule appointments at the border and get released into the U.S. interior at a 99% success rate because they use the mobile app. Oh, they're trying to do the right thing. They're going on our app. They're scheduling their appointments. They're coming to the port of entry. And so what happens? Well, by law, what's supposed to happen, 
They make their claims that justify them wanting to get into the United States at that meeting that they have. Supposedly, legally, they are given a date, a date to appear for a immigration judge to listen to their claim for asylum. What are they supposed to do then? They're not supposed to come into the United States and just go anywhere they want to go. They're supposed to wait to get that hearing with that immigration judge. But what is Biden doing? He's just letting them leave, waving at them as they leave the immigration office and go wherever they want to go. Almost all of these inadmissible aliens are released into the interior regardless of whether they are granted any type of legal status. Former Attorney General Jeff Sessions outlined in a memo to Republicans where he urges them to remind voters that this situation is outrageous, it's untenable, and that we can fix it through a massive increase in deportation powers. We can replace the vicious cycle with a virtuous one, in which a clear message goes out to the world, a clear message being the key part of that, that we will defend our sovereign borders and that unlawful entrance will be stopped and will be deported as federal law dictates. Instead of Joe Biden just standing down there with Alejandro Mayorkas and Vice President Kamala Harris just waving them in, go somewhere. We're supposed to tell you you can't go somewhere, but if you do go somewhere, you're going to check in with the local ICE office so we know where you are, and when your day in court comes up, you got to be there so you can hear from the judge, and then the judge will determine that you're okay to come in. Why should the rule of law matter to anybody in government? Why should it matter? Because everybody in government, every single person, all those elected and those that are appointed and confirmed by the U.S. Senate by whoever is the president in the White House, every one of them, they raise their right hand, put their left hand on a Bible, they give an oath to the people of the United States that says, we promise, I promise to uphold the laws of the United States to protect the United States against every threat internally or from anywhere on earth. What's the fundamental of protecting every American? The rule of law. The rule of law, while it's not mentioned that way in the Constitution, that is what the Constitution is itself. The fundamental structure for the rule of law. In many ways, the Biden folks, they like all of this uproar about the so-called whistleblower investigators that have proven Joe Biden himself committed bribery. While that's going on, they're just simply flooding 
the southern border and therefore the United States of America in its entirety with future Democrat Party or Democrat fascist with voters. Of course, all these illegals that come in, they're being brought in by Democrats. They'll always tell these illegals anywhere in the nation if and when they can get them eligible to vote, which is what the eventual plan always has been for Democrats. You got to vote for us because we're the ones that let you in, not those evil Republicans. They don't like you. They want you to just go live your life. They don't care about you. When, to be honest, the exact opposite of that is factual. Now, I told you we had some big other news that came out over the weekend, and it's really just kind of settling across the nation. And that is, we have credible evidence now that shows that Hunter Biden's law firm, whatever other kind of name you have for the firm he worked in, his company, whatever, they gave the big guy an international phone, cell phone, that was to be and was used specifically for Hunter Biden to talk to the big guy, Daddy Joe, from wherever on the globe Hunter Biden was located at the time. And Hunter was making and always has been making a bunch of trips overseas. If you remember when the big guy was Vice President Joe Biden, there are numerous trips where we saw Hunter went along for the trip. And after Joe left office, still the United States of America paid for numerous of Hunter Biden's overseas trips. Don't ask me how that was accomplished, but facts bear that out. So what's the big deal on this Hunter Joe international cell phone? Peter, you broke a lot of this years ago uh, about the Biden family influence peddling. And you've got new information this morning, uh, breaking news on a cell phone that Joe Biden was using. Tell us about that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. What is the line of communications between Hunter Biden and his business partners and Joe Biden when he's vice president of the United States? It's not the government phone. It's not Joe Biden's personal phone. We know from the laptop that Hunter Biden's business paid for a private phone line that Joe Biden used while he was vice president. It was from AT&T. It was $300 a month. It was a global phone where you could access somebody anywhere around the world. Uh, We shared that phone number and that account information with people at the House Oversight Committee. My hope is that that they haven't already. They will subpoena those records because I think it will give an indication on how tight the communication was. Uh, And that may be the phone for example, that the Ukrainian, the Burisma executive might have used uh, in this allegation uh, that he talked to Joe Biden and recorded conversations. I I would just say one other thing, Marie, as it relates to that sort of shakedown phone call with Henry Zhao uh, that we alluded to. 
Henry Zhao in 2015 had already sent $5 million to the Bidens. Uh, he was the head of a harvest investment firm. Uh, and what's interesting is in the correspondence there, Hunter Biden again talks to Zhao in the context of this is a deal that's important to my family uh, involving his father. Let's also keep in mind we fixate on the criminal element of this. We also have to focus on the espionage element of this. Henry Zhao paid $5 million to Hunter Biden from an account that was part of a company that he co-owned with the family of the Minister of State Security of China, who's I'm in charge of the entire spy apparatus. And you see that in every deal that Hunter Biden did in China, these individuals that are sending him money have ties to Chinese intelligence. Unbelievable. We have to take a quick break and then talk more about that and these 17 recordings that the Burisma executive have. Stay with us right there. Stay with us. Welcome back with Miranda Devine and Peter Schweitzer. Miranda, what's most important in terms of a takeaway from your standpoint on this investigation now? Look, I think that it's pretty clear that Joe Biden lied to the American people when he said he knew nothing about his son Hunter's overseas business dealings. We now have two new allegations that yeah. Hunter Biden was uh, meeting with those Chinese executives at the Four Seasons Hotel in December of 2015 yeah. with his son Hunter. Uh, and we also know that uh, Hunter Biden says that his father was in the room when they were shaking right. down the Chinese. He met with over a dozen of Hunter's overseas business partners. Hunter put him yeah. on the speakerphone when he was meeting with these partners. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, it's beyond the, the time for it, Joe though. Biden. I mean, pardon me, the bulk of it, though, Peter, all this money that the Biden family has taken in for what? What's their business? Yeah, the product was Joe Biden. The product <laughs> was Joe Biden. I wanted to make sure we got that last line in there for you. If you've ever wondered, you know, what were they doing? They said it was a business, the whole money thing, that all that uh, $10 million that came into the Biden family syndicate family accounts, all of that was, it was business related. There were no companies, no operations, nothing that showed that is even factual. But yet they just keep right on trucking, saying the same thing. And Americans, in large part for years, have been swallowing that, thinking, oh, that's okay, that must be what it was. But when there's no there there, there's no there. Something's got to be done. But you know what? We can't come on this show every day and for two hours just talk about the same thing, talking about the same debacles every once in a while, revealing some new little shred of evidence that confirms what we've been saying now for years, as a matter of fact. There are a lot of other things, important things going on in the world, and we've got an election coming up in 2024. Every two years, we do have federal elections in which every member of the House of Representatives, if they want to run for re-election, they've got to do it every other year. And if anybody wants to challenge somebody already sitting in the House of Representatives, they're going to run. But every four years, we have a presidential election. So somebody we don't hear much from is former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So over the weekend, somebody asked her and got her opinion on what 
she thinks is the number one thing that Democrats will use in the 2024 election to retain their control of the White House. And you know what she said? The number one thing that will take Democrats to victory across the nation in 2024? Abortion. Pelosi says abortion is Democrats' ticket to the victory. Why? Because Republicans disrespect women. She urged her fellow Dems to put the abortion issue front and center in every one of their 2024 campaigns, arguing Republicans will lose big on this issue across the nation. She was on Jen Psaki. <laughs> Jen Circleback Saki has a show on MSNBC. It's called Inside with Jen Psaki. And yesterday, Pelosi was the star. In there for an extensive interview that focused heavily on abortion, and this is coming in the one-year anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Pelosi said abortion remains a winning issue for Democrats and one that helped stave off disaster for the party in the midterm elections uh, just a year ago. Everybody said, we're going to lose 30, 40 seats, Pelosi said, of the 2022 midterms. Last time we lost five, everybody says, you had the wrong message. They were saying to me, you're going to owe an apology to the members because Dobbs is the rearview mirror. But it wasn't. It was up front and is right up in front of women across our country. Now, this interview, I think it wasn't accidental, but it came the same weekend that Donald Trump declared himself the most pro-life president in U.S. history. Former Vice President Mike Spence, he was there. And uh, Spence had some things to say about that as well. He marked the anniversary of the fall of Roe v. Wade by calling on all Republican 2024 candidates to vow to push for a minimum standard 15-week abortion ban if they get elected. Pelosi went out on to state when she was on with Jen Psaki yesterday, that the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey must be reversed, quote, one way or the other, one way or the other. How do you do that? There's only one way to do it, in my opinion. What did she mean? Reverse it one way or another. She said, our country has always been about expanding freedom. Until now, this court ignoring its own precedent and the right of privacy in the Constitution. So we have to reverse that. Congress has the right to do that one way or another. Still didn't explain what the other means. And, of course, Jen Psaki didn't ask her. I mean, we don't want to raise Nancy Pelosi's hackles. She'll give you a verbal beatdown on the spot. Pelosi stopped short of calling on Democrats to pack the Supreme Court, an idea that some Democrats have endorsed since Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation solidified a 6-3 conservative majority on the court. The president formed a commission. They did not recommend expansion of the court. That shouldn't be the end of it, but there certainly should be 
term limits. Hmm. I wonder what they would say, what Nancy would say about Supreme Court term limits if it was 6-3 the other way. 6-3 the other way. In other words, the Supreme Court would be under Democrat control. Pelosi's confidence comes in stark contrast to that of Vice President Pence. He argues Republicans will benefit from campaigning on abortion. He pointed to polling suggesting that a large majority of Americans support that 15-week ban. That would align American law with most of the countries in Europe that literally ban abortion after 12 to 15 weeks, Pence said. Our laws at the national level today are more aligned with North Korea, China, and Iran than with other Western countries in Europe. It's interesting what these people are doing and where they're going. There are so many things on which they can run. I mean, if it's controversy, oh my God, there's so much controversy out there and there's room for all kinds of opinions on everything. But listen, over the weekend, while you were probably doing what I was doing, relaxing, I'm with extended family having a blast. That's what we're supposed to do on weekends. You know what? The world continued to turn on its axis and it just went nuts in Eastern Europe. Vladimir Putin, he handled something over the weekend that I don't think he ever thought he was going to have to handle. But it's still out there, and it's still kind of mysterious. We've got that for you next. And also, before we end today's show, I've got a sound back and forth that I really want you to listen to. Dave Rubin had Riley Gaines on addressing this crazy trans stuff that is just devouring our nation. But Vladimir Putin up next. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance 
or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance. And lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Truth, justice, the American way. The Truth News Network. Once again, here's Dan Newman. I learned a, a lot over the weekend about something that I'd always wondered about. You hear the term mercenaries, mercenaries all the time, and I've really never looked into it. But basically, when somebody puts together a group of mercenaries, it's usually, in fact, almost always, for military activity and not necessarily military activity by a government. And that's exactly what's going on right now. Top U.S. officials three days ago, they reacted to news coming out of Russia that a company called the Wagner Group, the Wagner Group, it's a private military company. They mounted a mutiny against the nation of Russia. And they were actually on a push, taking on Russian army members. There was shooting going on and everything as this Wagner group was moving toward Moscow. But then suddenly, they decided to withdraw, saying that it shows our Americans Leadership says that shows Russian President Vladimir Putin is weaker within his own nation than many thought. Now, this is really, really very strange to me. This conflict between Putin and Wagner chief Yevgeny Prezhen, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing the name, formerly known as Putin's chef because of the close personal relationship the two had, it kicked off on the 23rd after a long-running feud between this guy and Russia's defense ministry, and it appeared to be a boiling point. Prezizin had claimed that Russian military forces intentionally killed a large number of Wagner Group contractors as part of his justification for this assault on the Russian government. However, this incursion seemed to end just about as quickly as it started. It lasted roughly 24 hours in which Wagner saw huge gains in the Russian heartland before they inexplicably cut a deal with Russia and withdrew. Prigozhin was granted amnesty from criminal action for treason as part of his deal not to continue his march on Moscow. And he's retired to Belarus, which is we all know is a Russian satellite nation. Information about the sequence of events that went into this is very limited in Russia. You can book it. Putin doesn't want anybody to know what he gave up or what he negotiated. Press freedom over there is very restricted normally. Many conflicting accounts of events have come out over the weekend. So what are the Biden administration top officials saying? They're contending with the dizzying speed of the advance by the Wagner Group, the compromise, and the quick withdrawal, saying that it shows that Putin is weaker than many thought. Now, why the heck would they say that this shows Putin is weaker than many thought when 
for whatever reason or reasons, this assault on Putin was turned around in less than 24 hours. I would think, and I'm thinking a little bit differently from our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, but that would prove that Putin was strong enough to get the guy, this guy with the Wagner Group, to stop. That doesn't show weakness to me. It actually shows his ability to be a leader, do what you got to do. Speaking of our Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, he made the rounds on the morning shows yesterday fielding questions about the U.S. intelligence on this saga. He called reports out of Russia extraordinary. Hmm. While former CIA director, former General David Petraeus, called him stunning. Blinken told CNN's Dana Bash, one of the bastions of journalist integrity on CNN, Dana Bash, that U.S. intelligence is unsure why Wagner suddenly retreated after coming, according to reports, within 100 miles of Moscow, which has begun to set up heavy fortifications in preparation for the Wagner onslaught. We don't have full information, honestly. It's too soon to tell exactly where this is going to go, Blinken said when he was asked about the retreat. I suspect that this is a moving picture, and we haven't seen the last act yet. Meanwhile, General Petraeus, who I trust more with military information than this Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, honestly, I trust you more than I do Secretary of State Antony Blinken on giving us facts. But that's a story for another day. Petraeus says that Prigozhin lost his nerve and said it brings to mind also Napoleon's admonition. If you start to take Vienna, take Vienna. So as the dust begins to settle from what could have spiraled into a full-scale crisis for Vlad, many observers are saying it could be the beginning of the end for Vladimir Putin. Blinken, however, was hesitant to analyze it that way. Do you believe that this is the beginning of the end for Putin? Dana Bash asked him. I don't want to speculate about that. This is, first of all, an internal matter for Russia. However, he argued that Russian military action in Ukraine has become a strategic failure across the board. He said Russia is weaker economically and militarily and is standing around the world has plummeted. The invasion managed to get Europeans off Russian energy, has united and strengthened NATO with new members and a stronger alliance and managed to alienate Ukraine from Russia. This is just an added chapter to a very, very bad book that Putin has written for Russia. Now, all you just heard was Antony Blinken's pontification, which he's so good to do. Very seldom does any of his pontification have anything to do with facts. Facts. He said it adds cracks. Where those go when they get there, too soon to say, but it clearly raises new questions that Putin has to deal with. So, uh, one of the unknown, totally unknown presidential candidates for 2024 is former North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. Burgum, who recently announced his run, said this moment shows the cracks within Russia and Putin losing his grip on that country. Wow, what a deep statement. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner, who's a Republican from Ohio, 
He was on CBS's Face the Nation yesterday and said that for the invasion to have gotten as far as it did, there must have been accomplices within Russian military. For any government to have stability, they have to control their military, he said. Obviously, in order for Progression to make it that far, he had to have accomplices. Where was the Russian Air Force in preventing this? That's going to be an issue that Putin's going to have to deal with both internationally and within his own country, Turner said. His government, as an authoritarian government, depends on its assertion of power and force in order to be able to continue to wield power, and that certainly is going to be an issue. So what does all this mean? What it means is somebody went after Vladimir Putin for some reason, and for some reason they stopped, even though they were doing a pretty darn good job at getting close to ending up invading Moscow. That would be amazing if it happened. But nevertheless, what do we have over here? Well, our political top dogs are out on the news trail yesterday, as they always do, and came up with a bunch of ideas that mean absolutely nothing. Pontification. They are so darn good at doing that. So you want to switch gears? Let's talk for a little bit. We've got, what, 20 minutes left on the show. Let's talk for just a part of that about this trans stuff. It's going full speed ahead. I don't care what anybody says. It's out there. It's happening. And it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. Let's go out west. University of Wyoming. A sorority there reveals that it changed its definition of woman. And they did that to allow a six-foot-two-inch, 260-pound trans member to join the sorority and slammed sisters who sued because she stared at them with an erection visible through leggings she, he was wearing. (laughs) You, You just can't make this stuff up. The University of Wyoming's Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority are being sued for allegedly changing the definition of woman to accept this trans trans member. Artemis Langford is accused of ogling the girls and staring at them with an erection visible through her leggings. The sorority hit back at the lawsuit, insisting the term woman is unquestionably open to many interpretations, which by science is not. Sisters at the campus Kappa Kappa Gamma chapter claim the organization changed the definition of a woman to allow all trans members, but especially Artemis Langford, to join back in September. So after the sorority's leadership bullied, allegedly bullied and intimidated the girls to accept Langford, she was then quickly met with accusation. She would peep at the other girls while visibly aroused. Members said they were left in constant fear in our sorority home. And the lawsuit alleges she was frequently caught with an erection visible through her leggings. In a fiery response to the lawsuit, the KKG sorority condemned the girls for their, what they called, frivolous legal action, arguing they only tried to boot Lankford from the sorority house 
for their own political purposes. I'm sorry. I am absolutely sorry. I disagree. A six foot two, 260 pound trans guy who's constantly hanging around the sorority house, oogling or ogling, however you want to pronounce it, the girls in the sorority with an erection. That ain't normal. I'm sorry. It's not. And if it was my daughter, my granddaughter now, I'm looking through the window at my two granddaughters playing by the pool in this condo where we're staying at St. Simon's Island. And I can tell you, if a six-foot-two big guy that self-identified as a woman was standing there looking at my 18-year-old granddaughters by a swimming pool, I don't know what I'd do. But I can tell you, I know when something quacks, it's a duck. When something (laughs) quacks, it's always a duck. I can't say any more about that on this show. I'll get in deep, deep trouble. So let's move on. What are the worst charities in America? Have you ever thought about that? This is something kind of important. Americans are the most giving, contributing members of any country on earth. We give more to charity than any other country does. As people, not talking about our government, I'm talking about people like you and me. Well, there are some really bad ones. How do you determine that? We're going to tell you about some of them. These are the organizations that give over 90% of their donations that come in. 90%, more than 90%, go to the fat cat executives instead of going to their quote-unquote causes. Millions of us generously donate a slice of our paychecks every year, offering to help those in need while maybe earning a slice of good karma for doing so. The U.S. charity industry is worth well over $2 trillion. That's trillion with a T. But many have no idea the sector is littered with greed. And our good intentions may be lining the pockets of fat cat CEOs instead. Now, there was a study done by the Tampa Bay Times and the Center for Investigative Reporting. According to this study, the 50 worst charities in America gave less than 4% of donations to their advertised recipients in the 10-year period from 03 to 2013, from Black Lives Matter splashing social media fortune on an L.A. mansion to executives giving themselves big, 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 big bonuses, these are allegedly the worst charities to hand over your hard-earned cash to. I'm not going to give you the details, but I'm going to give you the names of them. Cancer Fund of America is one. Kids Wish Network is another. Black Lives Matter. Oh my gosh. We could spend all day just talking about their horrendous money grabs and spending outside of the legal structure for not-for-profits. The Firefighters Charitable Foundation is another bad one. And, and, And honestly, we want to support firefighters. We want to support them. 
I'm not going to give you the whole list, but those are the worst ones. Why don't I just give you a little bit about BLM? In October of 2020, they were still grappling with the national attention it was getting BLM in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, the riots, all the stuff they were doing around the nation. Millions poured in from across the world as protests and demonstrations brought issues around racism to the forefront. But what happened with those millions left supporters furious? Cash flowing into BLM's coffers has dropped dramatically since, as it should. Donations plunged by 88% between 2021 and 2022. But still, it went from $77 million to $9.3 million in the most recent financial year. Patrice Cullors co-founded BLM in 2013, but she stepped down in 2021. The organization is also at risk of going bankrupt after its finances plunged $8.5 million into the red last year while simultaneously handing multiple staff seven-figure seven figure salaries. I can't even think about that. It's so egregious. Now, before we get away today, I told you I wanted to hear, wanted you to hear from uh, Riley Gaines. And so Dave Rubin had a bit with uh, Riley Gaines on over the weekend. Riley has just about had it. She has become an incredibly outspoken uh, voice against boys and girls swimming, which is something 10 years ago we all know uh, we all would have agreed with. Uh, here she is at the Senate hearing, and it's, uh, it's rather extraordinary. In addition to being forced to give up our awards and our titles and our opportunities, the NCAA forced me and my female swimmers to swim to share a locker room with Thomas, a six foot four, 22 year old male equipped with and exposing male genitalia. Let me be clear about this. We were not forewarned we would be sharing a locker room. No one asked for our consent and we did not give our consent. And I'll, I'll set the scene, a swimming locker room is not a place of modesty. You're undressing, you're fully exposed. And we were forced to take off our swimsuit in front of a man who was doing the exact same thing. If nothing else, I truly hope how you can see this as a violation of our right to privacy and how some of us have felt uncomfortable, embarrassed, and even traumatized by this experience. I know that I don't speak for every single person who competed against Leah Thomas, but I know I speak for many because I saw the tears. I saw the tears from the ninth and 17th place finishers who missed out on being named an All-American by one place. And I can attest to the extreme discomfort in the locker room when you, from these 18 to 22-year-old girls, when you turn around and there's male eyes watching in that same room. And I can attest to the whispers and the grumbles of anger and frustration from these girls who, just like myself, had worked our entire lives to get to this meet. And I can attest to the fact that around the country, these female athletes who opposed the inclusion of Leah Thomas in the women's divisions were threatened, intimidated, and emotionally blackmailed into silence and submission. You know, that girl is a true hero. You know, a hero is not necessarily somebody who wants to be a hero from day one. A hero is someone who along the journey, something happens, and then they choose to walk into the fire. And that's what she is. This is a girl who committed her life to being the best swimmer she could be happens to be a female, so you compete against other females. Do you think if you would have asked Riley Gaines three years ago, uh, would you like to be, or do you think one day you will be uh, testifying in front of the Senate 
because there'll be a guy in the locker room who will be beating you in swimming, she would say you're completely insane. Everyone would have said that was complete insanity. And yet here she is fighting it. And you know what's happening to her right now? The mainstream media, corporate press, blah, blah, blah. She's now far right. She's an evil conservative. She also happens to be supporting Governor DeSantis for president because he's actually fighting against that stuff in Florida. So, you know, obviously she's very scary because of that. I told you, top of the show, this trans stuff, it just keeps getting louder and louder and louder and more obvious. And while I do think it will be something of a fading thing, I honestly believe that. I don't think we're near over it. In fact, I think we are just now seeing the beginning of this. And I can't imagine how bad it it's going to get, and it will get much worse just simply because it will. Our nation is moving towards the extreme measures, almost the extremist measures regarding every important topic. I don't want to diminish the sex thing as being unimportant in any way because it's not. We're dealing with it. There are thousands and thousands of people that struggle with this. And throughout, I guess, eternity in the United States of America, which would be 240 years, these people stayed in the shadows. It was not spoken about. That didn't mean it wasn't real or people weren't having these emotional and mental problems with this. But it was always treated as that, an emotional problem. The thing we're dealing with now that has so many people, including this guy, really messed up in thinking, and this guy is me, is the fact that it's being weaponized for political purposes, for divisiveness, for division. Now think about those across the nation that have been struggling with it, legitimately struggling with it, that all of a sudden are waking up and they're being told, not only are you okay and you need to stop struggling with it, but we need to be able to politicize you and what you've been dealing with. Trying to make it legitimate. When, let me tell you what the science says about it, and the science can't weigh in 100%. You know why they can't weigh in scientifically 100%? There's no science that can be brought forward to prove the veracity of the conversation about transgenderism. There's plenty on the other side of the equation that says there's no such thing. But you can't say that. If you say that, you're a homophobe. You're a transphobe. You're going to be one of those isms or phobes in anything and everything you say that disagrees with those on the left, especially when it comes to trans and transgender issues. Well, well, well. Hey, tomorrow's Tuesday. Tomorrow, Tuesday at TNN Live always means our second hour. Steve Baker will join us. He's in Washington, D.C. this week. And maybe, oh, maybe. We can get him to talk a little bit about the specifics of why he's there. But you know this, every time he comes, he has great news and information for you that you only get from him. And I'm glad he's a partner. 
we spend Tuesdays together, we become friends, even though we are both from the Shreveport, Louisiana area. He is born and raised there. I came from South Louisiana when I was 17 years old. We didn't know each other until all this stuff started on January 6th. Steve Baker with us tomorrow. Till then, you have a great day. And thanks for joining us at TNN Live.